We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. All right, let's go back to it being an actual, instead of being robots, because as you say, that's a very hard one to explore. Let's go back to it. I would say you do it more along the lines of there's a crash, yes, but the, the, the people on the ship are able to hide the ship or like either bury it or cloak it very quickly. So it's going to be a while before anyone manages to figure it out. But you do have their away teams scouring the wilderness, you know, figuring out what they're going to do. So there's plenty of opportunity to meet them, plenty of opportunity to talk to them or fight them or, or you know, start a war with them or build diplomatic relationships with them before the ship is up for grabs. Oh. Here's here's the twist. There isn't much of a ship left, but what is left is precious. The real treasure of the survivors. The real treasure was friends the- we made along. <laughs> you beat me to it. Yes, and kept in jars. Or and, portable yeah. hold. That's that's an interesting narrative, but I'm not sure how you get there from the perspective of the people waving swords at the survivors. Well, you, you, well the, okay, again, the, the the real treasure is the friends we met along the way. I agree, but the rest of it's very well, easy. No, I wasn't going for friends, Dave. <laughs> well, if you need an ex- for, if- there could either be a quality of property or a set of knowledge they have that is vital, and there's a resource on the ship or was left of it, or a thing they can do that others can't. So. Well, if you, you want to bring it talk- back to like the political machinations, um, sure. you're decide you're basically deciding where this thing crashes. So maybe this thing crashes on like a strait of land or an isthmus that's like strategically important for some people, and because there are people there that crash landed, they technically have the right to claim that as their own, but kings right, don't want that to happen. So they come in and want to take it from them. Right. There's there's some old edict of kingdoms or something where wherever you arrive at is your refuge of whatever. The squatter's yeah. right. To I would have gone with a, some a old neutral zone. That, like to, two kingdoms have agreed they're not going to enter because it's too close to each other and they land right in the middle of it. So everybody wants to go in there, but can't yet. Without starting mm-hmm. a war. Yeah, this is that's still a much more interesting game, I think, from the space guy's perspective, is the trouble. I Not think. necessarily, because you can be adventurers from one of the kingdoms trying to first get to the other kingdom and plead your case for why you need to go in there. Right, but you're going to get to the other kingdom with a succession of combat encounters and travel, travel through. the. It, it's still a D&D game. Like so it, here's my question, then. We've tackled this premise from one side or the other. What if the party represents people from both? Because as a GM, you can option that, but also your players might sit and go, you know, I want to be a spaceman. I want to be a wizard with a pet dragon. Well, here's a, here's, here's a way you maybe get there. Okay. What if it's a much smaller spaceship? Scout ship. Not even. Crew of five. Like, yeah. No, like it's, it's one guy's personal luxury spaceship, right? And he brought along some henchmen and minions and things like that. It's and a space yacht. Right. And he's stuck here now. But on the other hand, he's a rich space guy. So he's got a ton of cool stuff. So he just looks around and, you know, does his recon and so forth. And he's been here for, you know, five, ten years. And he's seen that, you know, kings hire adventurers and send them out all over the place to get what they want. So now you have a rich space jerk trying to hire adventurers and or paying to, you know, send his minions out to go find the things he wants on your fantasy world. 
I think the actual premise here is what is Zap Brannigan crashes your home tastes and you find him in your wizard tower one day. No, because Zap Brannigan is incompetent. This, you know, space right. rig guy, despite having crashed his space yacht, is probably not. <laughs> so he's Zap Brannigan with talent. Gaston. <laughs> oh, God, so dangerous. Or somebody tried to assassinate him and that's why he crashed here or something like that. Like maybe he's somebody who the space uh, wanted to get out of the way, the but now he's like, oh, well, fuck it. I'll just run things here. You could do the uh, the Planet Hulk thing where they at the beginning of Civil War, they decided, you know, the Hulk is too powerful for either side. Let's just shoot him off to another planet. Maybe the characters that are on there started exhibiting some sort of weird magical proclivity that didn't match with the power system of their home world. So they decided, you know what? Fuck it. Send him off. Send him off to crash land on some other alien world. Let that world deal with it. Not in the back of my space hangar, you won't. This <laughs> guy crashes the spaceship, declares himself Baron Locarno, and sends his butler, right, to go talk to the local duke and be like, yes, so, well, I'm in charge of the forest now. <laughs> that butler's still <laughs> so there dead. is actually a book series that deals with a premise significantly like this. It's the Ring of Fire series, and it's basically a small coal mining town from the year 2000, West Virginia, finds itself in the back in the middle of the Thirty Years' War. They can't resupply. <laughs> they have to live out where they are there. But they also, you know, like, you know, they have higher technology, but it's not going to last. And so they have to figure out how to carve out a place for themselves in this world where they're not completely trounced and torn apart. And they also, um, but they don't have the ability to take it over. I mean, and I'm, I figure so long as, you know, the space yacht jerk's money is good, adventurers are going to work for him too. Right. Eventually, assassins or other kinds will come to take care, to get rid of him once they realize he's not quite as dead well, as he should the, be. Right, or so, somebody will show up thinking he's, you know, some kind of evil wizard, and you'll have to defend him. And... A stupid barbarian with a magic sword possessed by demons. But, by the way, um, what is the difference between this and some prince from a, from a different continent whose ship, you know, wrecks on your shores? Well, for one thing, this guy has a laser gun. That's all? Should be, um... With I mean, other yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that's I mean, that's the starting point. But yeah, you do need to find a way to make him alien somehow either. And that is going to come down to this weird thing. You go back to the Clark's third law where sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Well, they have magic. So you also so you have to thread this needle of making the technology like not just something that a spell can do. It needs to be something distinctive about well, what he can I mean, do. Certainly. To circle back to my earlier idea, though, I think you still need to look for a more Tolkien-style fantasy world where, yeah, sure, there are magic rings and magic swords, but there's, like, an amount that you can count that has less than three digits in it. Wizards can only fire space lasers so many times a day. Well, then there's only five of them, and they're fallen angels to begin with. So when a sixth person that is not a wizard arrives, they can do it whenever he wants willy-nilly at whoever he wants willy-nilly. Right. That if some dude problem. who is just like in Gandalf's league shows up one day. It says, give me cookies pronto. The cookie yeah, monster versus this Gandalf. This is bad for and Cookie monster landing in Hobbiton, sir. Well, at least he agrees with them about the number of meals in a day. Yeah, I honestly think that would be about the most peaceful immigration yeah, possible. Seriously. <laughs> Until he eats them. But cookie monster, he, he doesn't eat. I don't cookie think Thulu, that's then. the original lore, but I don't know. <laughs> cookie Thulu, then. No, I'm pretty confident Cookie Monster doesn't eat people, and actually, he tries not to eat cookies anymore. He Which healthy is the most disappointing element in the last lame. ten years. <laughs> cookies are sometimes food, y'all. 
Right. So he shoots space lasers like the evil wizards do. He demands cookies 37 times a day and is just a... For what it's worth, I've I picked up uh, a while back the Sandy Peterson Cthulhu Mythos for 5e. It sound it like it seems kind of boring, but it's got a bunch of items in there in this book that are sufficiently alien enough to warrant or to feel different than your world than just, you know, the regular plus two battle axe or the cloak of displacement or something. Right. I like that because I think you you need to go if maybe not like full Lovecraft, you need to go weird with whatever kind of space technology this dude has. Yeah. And to be honest, like on some level. Yeah. Like bringing in, you can, uh, DMs guild or whatever probably has like collections of items that are slightly alien or expand on the laser weaponry or something. And and make it him, make him a collector, make each item that he has really unique, like with specialty rules. Like, um, well, what was that, that sci-fi show from like, 15 years ago about like the warehouse full of uh warehouse yeah, yeah. friday the 13th back when it was the 80s and it was a show about an antique shop or yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically he has that going for him yeah we're okay. oh maybe that's what crashes is like the warehouse of the weird shit well i i suspect this guy probably got crashed here by somebody but i don't think it it, it matters that much at that point because i don't think you start that game at the crash I think you start that game once this guy is like kind of well known and your characters are hired by this guy. Uh, and you brought up that he's ba- that he would basically be the same as like any other prince, but I think getting him to that point where he is just the alien version of the prince is also kind of plus kinda, the real crash. I think that's a big part and of it. Actually, game. to yeah. follow up on Ken's point, the real the 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 crash of his crash is not where you start, but the crash of the ship that's after him trying to hunt him down might be a good starting point. I think that happens at your midpoint, actually. Well, well, I kind of like doing it at the beginning because then it kind of opens up the door for a party that's dual composed, where you have maybe an alien crew that was supposed to hunt him, but now they have crash landed on this place and they need to kind of lay low, get their power back before and maybe get some help from the locals before they can take this guy on. Show of virtual heads. If you could play a space butler, would you? Right, because I don't think this guy. I, I definitely yes. would. A, B, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't think this guy showed up alone. I think he showed up, like I said, with you know servants and retainers and the crew of his spaceship. Because somebody was flying that thing. This dude was busy. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can easily make your first set of player characters from some of those guys and the locals who showed up to try to figure out what in the world just happened, and were like, "Oh well, okay. Is he paying? I'll go swing a sword at somebody." I think a game of Farmer Joe plus Space Butler is a good start. You get a little bit of Felix and Oscar right there. Yeah. And in that way, after you have, you know, gotten the game rolling and we know the characters pretty well and we've got the idea about our space millionaire, then the, the ship full of people who are after him shows up. Well, and I think the, the idea is that he doesn't land near a place of power like a capital city. It might be a more remote or decentralized area where he becomes kind of the weird local celebrity at first that eventually draws more and more attention as more and more stories pass around or weird trinkets get traded out of oh, the yeah. immediate circle. Yeah. Another plot point you're going to want to run is when like one of the people who's who he's roughly equivalent in power to shows up to try to figure out if that's actually true. They challenge you to a wizard duel. Right. Or, you know, they show up with at the head of their, you know, army of pilgrims or something. And they're like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. How down to our God. Zap. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It might be more peaceable than that, certainly. It might just be sheer incredulity, such as a what? 
Well, I mean, and, and he's probably got a taser and some other like stun setting on his lasers that will. Oh, like... no, he's a noble. You know what he has is a mute button. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like, imagine a wizard like going up to a, to this guy and being like, holy shit, you were able to do damage and not murder him outright. I want to do that. Give me that toy. I will use it on everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you have to allow effectively a season or so to build up that narrative. Let the characters be part of the area in which this happens or for you know, whether there's the traveling types or have been living here for a while, be part of the crew so that you get that initial knitting together before the larger stakes start to arrive. I think it might actually be kind of uh, you can actually twist this a little bit. Maybe not have it be immediately apparent that he is a crashed alien. Maybe he is just the local eccentric noble that wants you to go to a cave and says, oh, I need 15 shin bones or something. And then, you know, two or three sessions in, you find out your player or your players find out when they get handed like a laser pistol or a stun gun or something that, oh, this guy is an alien. Or um, if you take it to their wizard friend, the wizard friend pokes at it, cast identifying goes, eh? Yeah. yeah. If you're running a more White Wolf style, you know, the characters have secrets from each other type of game. Just don't let the ones who are actually from space tell the others until they feel like it. Yeah. Well, space Butler wouldn't. That'd be so against his rules. <laughs> space Butler would be doing everything possible to blend in and like learn the local her- heraldry and so forth. I actually want to play this character now. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> no. The moment that those phrase, that phrase left my mouth, I went, that's good. <laughs> But yeah, I think perhaps this is the way to twist out of the traditional fantasy pillaging of a new dungeon from the far reaches mm-hmm. or the demon slash whatever invasion of the other when they wake up from inside to, to give them a reason as characters and people to care and be invested before the greater challenges arise. And it can be silly. It can be serious. It can have a bit of both. But effectively, you have your season one as it is before the thing that is a threat to you all occurs. And it can be a threat to that emerges from the fantasy world. It can be a threat that emerges from the his or hers or its own histories and backgrounds. It might even be both over time. Yeah, I think you're going to end up with some of both if the game goes long yeah, enough. It kind of has to be. Otherwise, you've lost what makes this idea in, is important. Otherwise, again, he's just yeah. another element of the world. This way you avoid the whole planet of hat syndrome. As well as the murder hobo of, oh, he's a magic guy with weird treasure that no one else has. Let's kill him. Mm-hmm. Those guys, those folks will exist, but you're not those characters. Right. Or if you, you are, you have to know that, like, you just can't do it yet. You need, like, ten or more levels or something. Right. You need to convince the space baller to betray his master and all that stuff. Yeah. It's surprisingly difficult to convince a group of players that someone is out of their league. <laughs> Damn what right. Game, what game were we in where we kept on pestering you about what color their names were? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Was it Pathfinder? Jesus. Were you asking me or Dave? You, well, I remember for you, it was we, we were in the Pathfinder game where we had arrived on a foreign continent, right? Yep. yep. That was where that joke came up. Yep, for sure. We uh, we started taking up some quests, and I think it was Terry. So, you know, that's a red quest. Can you point us toward a green one? <laughs> you were not happy. Oh, like you guys heard about the Minotaur warlord, and he was like, nah, I, don't, I don't think we want to bite that off. This is the same guy who like deliberately led the party back to a 
extraordinarily ominous coffin they had found several levels ago, thinking, okay, we can probably take it now. At one point, oh previous 3 game. My favorite is still the Bronze Serpent Trap. Yeah, but that's just, like, that whole room was just, like, I decided to play 1E that evening, and you guys did not pick up the cues. No, all of us, except, so it is a ruins leading to an evil wizard's lair. Things are already going nefarious here. We noped the lava chamber where we had to Mario our way across platforms. Yeah, and we also had fire snakes in there. They walked in there. I got three sentences into the description, and they were like, we're leaving. <laughs> so we decided to go this way instead, and there is a large bronze serpent coiled around this pillar, and the walls on either side are covered in scorch marks. And Terry goes, I'm going to touch that. <laughs> Amazing. Before any of us could say no. And I bring this up because I can see in the guy's ship, or, you know, the alien ship, something like that, which is the do not touch, blaring signs, klaxons, everything. One of the players is going to touch this. Yeah. Self-destruct button or something. <laughs> not activate the automated assassin. Oh, <laughs> brings out HK-47. Hmm. Hey, new player character or NPC. They replace the space butler with a murder bot. This is the yeah. walking catastrophe of Arion Prime. It's deactivated. It's perfectly well, safe. Butler's only common in three varieties. The, the, the genteel servant, the secret assassin, and the butler to a superhero. I think technically a space butler is all three. Probably. Yeah, this, this premise is weird, but I think it allows us to twist things in a number of interesting ways. And to see, I mean, more just, importantly... Yeah, good. There's just way too many spaceship, but it's still Dungeons & Dragons. Things that I can think of. So mm -hmm. you need to avoid Claren, that to get anywhere interesting with this idea. Claren is what, the spaceship full of weird growing things that the barbarians used to well, make the, drugs or I mean, something? There is one final permutation I can think of. Your fantasy okay. has crashed into an alien spaceship. <laughs> you know what? We deserve that. <laughs> How does that work? It could be a very <laughs> big alien spaceship. But the real the, but the real idea, I mean, the real concept behind it is that the fantasy world, the entire world, and it is a world, is the thing that's found itself out of place and surrounded on all sides by the by the alien thing. Uh, Omicron from Transformers, he's like a big planet, but if you made him like a Dyson sphere, could that work? Where there's like... You mean Unicron? Unicron, yeah. You merged Omadon with Unicron, which is delightful, because then we get James there was also Jones a colony with alongside Orson Welles. True. So I guess part of the question here is, what, what scale of planet are we talking here? All right, hold on. I'm obliged to respond to that by pointing out that Orson Welles voiced Unicron. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It is James Earl Jones. not a trade-up on Orson Welles. No, Good as we, he are merging. we are merging James Earl Jones with Orson Welles. That is the point. Yeah, it actually depends a great deal on what stage of his life Orson Welles you're talking about. But yeah. Planetary. Planetary, sir. <laughs> actually, that's the way to do it. It is... We, we are going to fade out with Orson Welles doing the peas commercial, and each pea he's eating is a planet. <laughs> mm, tastes like higher life forms. <laughs> the French higher life forms are the best of life forms. Apparently, Unicron was also voiced by John Noble. <laughs> oh, no. That would be wonderful. Which series was that? Uh, Transformers Prime. It no, that makes sense, yeah. There have been a lot of Unicrons over the years. Yes, we have gueification. I think the I think the single worst thing it's not the single worst thing Transformers has ever pulled, but the single dumbest thing that I can think of offhand is that three connected series in a row, Transformers Armada, Transformers Energon, Transformers Cybertron, 
Megatron upgraded to Galvatron, and then somehow by the end, the, by the beginning of the next series, had reverted back to Megatron. But sometime during the series, he upgraded to Galvatron again. <laughs> that sounds great. It's not. I'll find a supercut of those <laughs> later. Yeah, unfortunately, the the problem with the middle one is it's frankly boring. The problem with the first one is that the giant transforming robots the show is ostensibly about can't find their ass with both hands and a flashlight. Curious of the worlds and narratives we've outlined, which would you guys like to run or want to run if you ever had the chance, and which would you want to be players in? Um, ultimately, the, uh, I, mean, I, I think we know my uh, answer. Yeah, you you <laughs> want to be the space butler. Yes. Ultimately, I think it depends a great deal on the nature of the the aliens. Are they like if we're taking like recognizable aliens? If we're taking like Star Trek, literally Star Trek, it'd be very interesting to see. Like you could play around for like a couple of stories with like their takes on fantasy creatures, and that, and it could be pretty interesting. Um, honestly, if it was Stargate in that scenario, I think that's the way I'd run it. <laughs> the, the 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 aliens are the murder hobos. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of finding the crashed ship. I think uh, working for this eccentric alien baron and then having things develop from there is kind of a kind of interesting. I like that little twist of it. Yeah, I am kind of tempted by Farmer Joe in that premise there of just the the local person who is so in over their head. But hey, this is the way things are over here now, and it works for us. So you're gonna let it be. Get yourself on home now. There, I do like the idea of someone who is just so ultimately nonplussed by how this thing plays out day to day after a while. Well, yeah, now around about 10 years ago, there was that weird fire in the sky. And then up there at the end of the holler, there was the new uh, Baron moving in. And he done turned up with all his uh, manservants and whatnot. And they, I mean, they's blue, but otherwise they's pretty good people. And taxes are the same. What do I care? <laughs> well, yeah, there's a couple additional ones. He wants a cat every other week. <laughs> I mean, basically, it's a lot better than when Mad uh, Mad Lord Snapcase was in charge. So he wanted two cats a week. <laughs> the the whole thing is reminding me of there was a book I I wouldn't recommend it as an actual good book because I'm about to spoil the ending anyway. <laughs> but I it started out with one of my my favorite scenarios, which is alien invasion and the humans fighting back and. The humans are somewhat surprising the aliens, even though they are out, they, they are still outgunned. So there is like a real possibility the humans could win this. And the aliens are making all sorts of mistakes because they don't understand the psychology of humans. Uh, humans aren't really in a position to be making mistakes based on the psychology of the aliens yet. So that hasn't happened in reverse. Uh, and they're doing this kind of interesting thing where the, the aliens are, are carnivores. They're used to dealing with either herbivores or carnivores, and they don't really understand, like, omnivores. And the reason I bring that last one up is there's this really weird swerve towards the very end. Because one of the subplots that's been going on is one of the survivors has been hanging out in a cave with this uh, this fairly old guy who's been keeping him safe from the aliens. And, you know, they're developing a friendship. And it very towards the very end of the book, it turns out that the old guy is Dracula. Right. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and so Dracula's like, ah, you know, I had kind of given up the whole being a predator of the night kind of thing. But these aliens have really started to piss me off and creates a bunch of vampires and leads an assault on the alien ship, takes it over because they, what do they know? They've never encountered vampires before. Because again, until this point, there'd been no indication there was anything supernatural going on. 
and takes a bu- and takes one of these ships into space to wage war against the aliens. It took us a year or so to come back to nice black edge and some space vampires who obviously need space butlers in their Renfields. I ain't doing it. <laughs> you don't want to be a space Renfield. I ain't doing it. <laughs> Running it or playing it. Yep. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, okay. We had you do that game once and you tried your best to kill all the players and characters. No, I really it's, didn't. I just tried to leave it a realistic possibility. I know. And the dice just weren't favoring you. No, they were exceptionally careful. <laughs> it was it was a fascinating take. I didn't expect them, given the players, to be as cautious as they were. But yeah, I, I do think we have to, of the ones where we ever to explore this premise, I guess maybe we'll wrap up on that note. Potential systems, you think this would work well on the last premise, which seems oh, to be that, the one that oh. entices. Yeah, the first premise would be, I would still go with fate. Sure. The last premise... How long a campaign are we talking about, do you think? Set destination in mind, or could it be open-ended and last for a long, long time? I think you'd have to run out like seasons. Each season, let's well, let's throw out probably about 10, 12 sessions. How's that sound? I am inclined to... Start with... 50. Yeah, I, I am inclined to not do a crunchy system like D&D with this one. Because D&D is so codified, you have to actually dig into, like, the rules to come up with, like, things that define the alien as alien, that make it different from what, what's going on. And that's always a challenge. It, it, it just runs contrary to the way the game is set up. I would still probably go with a more open-ended game like Fate, although in this case, I don't think I want to use Fate. I just can't think of a substitute at the moment. Yeah, admittedly, I don't have much uh, experience with a whole lot of other systems. I, I still think for the second idea, you could like kind of like you don't you still need a somewhat combat-y system, I think, for a couple of those first things. But some sort of like World of Darkness analog maybe because i know that that one's a very social game that yeah that um, could work yeah, but there's one that works really well for this Are you ready very simple it's lasers and feelings oh no 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 <laughs> that's way too little <laughs> for this <laughs> i had to throw it out there as a one end of the spectrum but ken what's your thought so I think, especially if I'm running it in seasons, I'm changing systems by season. Interesting. I would yeah. be extremely tempted to run a pre-grit game as Fiasco. Oh, oh no. <laughs> what, what, what leads to him arriving here? Yeah. yeah, Right. He shows up. He's a space billionaire. That's obviously one of the characters involved. And then the other characters are whoever the local uh, nobility are, as it were. And just let that play out with the understanding that obviously the space guy is going to live. And that's the only thing we're going to you know, have as a hard rule for that no killing the space dude right. the space dude has over. to live or the rest of this doesn't well, no, it's, it, but, you, you know, yeah you, yeah basically and and, and, and yeah he can be humiliated he can have things not go his way he that's all fine he arm. just has to live right just one and in fact that might even be informative for the second game which i would be tempted to run in a powered by the apocalypse system yeah. rather than try to do something super combat heavy i'd want to have like combat be available but not really the highlight yeah it's fundamentally an important problem thing. solving that that one's a fate right there. You can do combat in fate. You can do it very effectively, but it doesn't stand out strongly from other uh, ways of dealing with the uh, the the problem. If and I probably want to switch thing, even something along the lines of Fading Suns, or probably um, a Gumshoe based game. After we had established, you know, the the uh, 
characters and situations. I'd just have everybody convert over to a system that was about figuring things out rather than fighting stuff and turn them loose on the world. Honestly, that one does very well for the season where you discover that he's an alien. You want to run it. You could go that way, too. I think you want to just go ahead and let it be known that the guy's an alien to your players, if not necessarily to the wide world from the beginning. Fair enough. Hence the of the week yeah. would work well for the something's come to hunt him sessions as side pieces, because those are entirely dedicated to solving the current threat and making it go away somehow. Monsters. I know. The other thing that does it lets you retire characters and make them important to the power structure while still remaining, you know, part of building out that world. Yeah. Well, I guess that's another question, too. Are we looking at, for instance, perhaps a story of generations? Because we don't know how long this guy lasts or what abilities, powers, or utilities he might be available to that could be like one of the initial like wrinkles of like, yeah, this guy's a local baron. He has like a castle or whatever, but he also hasn't aged in 200 years and he's also not a vampire. So nobody really knows. Locals don't mind. Dude, we, we, yeah. we stabbed him in the heart with a stake and he didn't die. So we know he's not a vampire. And at that point, we just kind of gave up because he wasn't. He wasn't so terrible to deal with. I mean, other than, you know, that we couldn't live with him. I mean, honestly, the, the only people he's been terrible to are the ones that stabbed him in the heart with a stake. The last, really dude killed us. On that. <laughs> last dude killed us for not laughing at his jokes. So this is a marked improvement. They run away with one another. <laughs> he always but has. I do like I do God. like him. <laughs> oh, goodness. I do like the idea of allowing different systems by season or by thematic premise so that you can explore this world and the narrative in ways that seem appropriate to the particular story you're delving into at that time. It's something I know it took us a while to become comfortable with, that we didn't have to stick entirely to a system to tell the story. I think you want to change the cast when you change the systems, too, because that way you get to evolve over time. But that's if I really want to do this with legs. I would be perfectly happy to run it in probably still a Powered by the Apocalypse type of game or a White Wolf type of system if I was just doing the singular pitch. fairly sure a lot of those things could analog over to Space Butler pretty quickly. I yeah. would be hard-pressed to guess a system where I can't make a Space Butler. <laughs> uh, a question of how much hand-waving I would have to do. Yeah, it's, it's not really against the rules or the crunch of many systems. Uh, it might be about Honestly, the even, themes, but... Even Core Fellowship, before you got into the expansive stuff, Squire would work well enough. You're entirely a support and relationship-driven character. There are a lot of these systems, I think it's easy to forget that you can refluff or flavor without much hand-waving. But yeah, they're something that is... Out of the giant playbook. I, I, I promise you, I can make <laughs> a space butler. I'm kind of thinking it would be interesting to see the space butler in a game of worldwide Definitely. wrestling. Technically, sir, you made a space jerk. <laughs> yeah, a jerk is descriptive, not a character class. I don't know. I read that giant playbook, too, and it pretty much screamed jerk on every ability. I think particularly when you took the I wreck everything by my nature. <laughs> Mister, I'm going to shut down the elevator by breaking it in half. I mean, I, it, he didn't oh, break it's... the elevator in half. He broke the elevator shaft in half. All right. Technically, he was trying to smash the thing in the elevator with you, and that's the elevator shaft just happened to be part of the process. I do think if we go powered by Apocalypse or something like that kind of narrative, you have to, as a GM, be open to whatever disasters the players cause. Oh, well, yeah. Because one of the core tenets there is anything is breakable. I mean, to be fair, and it's generally fun to be open to whatever disasters the players cause in any system. 
Right. But also it's a setup where since you're trying to have, you know, science fiction characters mixing with fantasy characters and not like classy fantasy characters, but, you know, guys who live in the woods. Yeah. There's be misunderstandings anyway. So you might as well leave the potential for like really silly things occasionally going on. I think, yeah, you, you would even something as fundamental as, OK, it's the Harvest Festival for the year. What does the Baron bring down as his contribution? A bunch and, of apples, but they're purple. Right. With teeth. <laughs> in Soviet Russia, pets, apples yes. bob for you. <laughs> Way to end this with class. <laughs> Wait, I was supposed to end this with class? Do over. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. That's true. You do have the most glorious beard of all of us. Is there anything else we want to touch upon before we finish up for the night? Or have we, huh? I think, sussed out enough on this? I think we've largely... Unless anybody's got it, I, unless anybody's got any permutations we haven't thought of, not not to explore, just like lightning round permutations. Uh, nanomachines, uh, nanobots can. Uh, I don't know. There's maybe something there. Giving the players nanomachines or access to them can be an easy access to like. Uh, I think DMG has boons that are like little like character abilities, but you could do uh, something there where the where he's granting you like some sort of cybernetic arm or something i do admit i have developed I a fondness for done. the years i've got one when you guys are done with that idea. Oh, we were going to flesh it out okay. it's just a lightning round yeah yeah i was just going to dovetail off of that because it's something i've done in recent games where rather than just give out magic treasure it is an alteration of some kind to your nature quality or things that you only you can do might have a physical component to it or things you've acquired or modified but that seems to be more fun than congratulations you found your plus 37 sword yeah what was your vicious idea ken it's a crashed space cruise ship, and the people who were taking the space cruise don't realize they're not supposed to be here and start approaching approaching the fantasy world from the perspective of, oh, well, obviously we need to go to the Grand Temple of, you know. <laughs> space tourists. Space tourists. <laughs> that is an existential threat. That's actually That's pretty good. good. Yeah. I was going to do uh, um, a like transhumanism, a guy who every time he dies, he just downloads his, his uh, consciousness into another body coming back in a different way, whether it's a hologram or a dolphin or what have you versus an immortal lich with a really well hidden phylactery. And they just end up getting into a millennia long feud. <laughs> There's a game on a powered by the apocalypse game, something along the lines of space worm versus the moon. <laughs> Basically boils down to that. <laughs> I think we found our April first. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. I I will touch off with perhaps a book you guys should read, Lords of Light by Roger Zelazny, which plays off of the idea of what happens should very advanced high tech humans arrive on a planet that is not prepared for them and have too much time on their hands. They turn themselves into self styled gods and cause all kinds of mayhem. Yeah, Michael Moorcox Legends from the End of Time stuff deals with that in a dissimilar sort of way. But what, hap what what would happen if people were sufficiently advanced to be terribly irresponsible with it? Space litter. Oh, oh, yeah, with a space tourist. And imagine the kinds of litter they'd leave behind. This is the world. This is the worst, Wally. <laughs> yeah, it they would, go to fuck up another planet. Bad. But I think you have to play the space tourists in that scenario. And your goal is to successfully navigate the fantasy world without getting wrecked. <laughs> Did you get eaten? You lost that episode. But yeah, but you the but the the rule system has got to incentivize playing your character oh. stupidly. Dave, Dave, it's it, you play paranoia yes. with this. The cruise ship is run by friend computer. I don't know. Although the clones' idea isn't bad, I think you might actually handle it as a 
exceptionally low combat uh, DCC funnel adventure. That could work too. Hmm. Russian space randos. Good luck. The other last twist you could do if you wanted to be, if you wanted to truly go through the idea of fantasy folk invading a horrifying dungeon of space, of space oddities, go something where the scale is so vastly different. Play No Country for Old Kobolds. You might be adventurers, but whatever's in that ship treats you as disposable. Actually, you could go to Stellaris for an idea for that. One of the precursor races of that are, are um, like Titanic millipedes. Oh, yeah. So you can discover them, and they're just so completely out of scale to all other civilized life in the galaxy that their history was the first time they discovered, you know, like ordinary sized people. They tried to kill them because they thought that basically they were just ants. So now we know what Remoras is. And then lost. And that's why they aren't around anymore. I think as long as we don't take the Mass Effect route. What? Selling uh, out to from EA? The no, the part where you give the players three choices and they circle the wrong one. Oh. oh. Selling out to EA. <laughs> that's the game. There are a number of fun ways to take this. But yeah, I think part of it is applying the system to this premise, to the premise, any of these, and seeing what emerges when your players destroy both. I, I use the word destroy because that's what our players do, but they might do other things in your games. Generally, not that bad. I did have one game where I ran into a, a wall of 5th edition where I got a little bit mad and tried to kill a player and it just would not happen. We, just to be clear here, are we talking player or character? Uh, A little both. <laughs> okay. um, I was getting mad at the player, so I was like, God, he's just steamrolling through everything with this, with this paladin bullshit. I'm going to put him up against like a bunch of werewolves and the intent was that they weren't going to fight it. But instead he crits the alpha and kills all the rest of them and becomes pack leader. Not sure. Unless he's a paladin of conquest that allows him to keep his oath. Maybe. I maybe think he was. Yeah, oh, paladin. Okay, at least yeah. Paladin of conquest is basically the evil paladin. <laughs> at least he was in character. Yeah. It's what his character would do. It's part of, I think, what Ken's been cautioning around here. When you when you do, of course, give the players new and powerful toys, they will do devastating things with them. Yeah, I think that uh, is like the last wrinkle. I think that should maybe be part of this setup of the story of, hey, there was a guy who did misuse this technology and he fucking exploded or something. And there's a giant magic crater that no one can go to because it's full of radiation. It's kind of why I wanted to start my pitch with Fiasco, yeah. Because something's definitely <laughs> going to go wrong. You had to get this carnivorous cat eating apple somehow. You know, a barren in a remote village has an orchard no one wanders into because it's haunted. In this case, the trees eat you. You know, something that ridiculous doesn't have to be cat eating trees. Sure that's what a weekend to write that fiasco playbook. <laughs> we have certainly found our mileage out of it. But, you know, it might actually be fun to do the, the, the initial premise as a one shot for fiasco. Sounds good to me. We can put that on the list, certainly, as a, as a possibility later. Uh, we do have to wrap up soon, but I want to give everyone a chance to throw out anything they want folks to listen to, follow, or consider for their games at home. Well, I'm the host of Otter World, so role-playing game podcast where we talk role-playing and sometimes break systems. And players. Only happened once or twice. Mm, but those are so memorable. Ken, Tanner? I don't really have anything to listen to that's uh, related, but uh, if you're willing to uh, drop $15 on something, head over to Steam and there's a, a great little program called Flowscape. And it's uh, basically like a little terrain building tool that gives you like trees and bushes and animals and 
some like uh, they're gonna roll out some dungeon stuff pretty soon that'll make it easier to create dungeons. But you can create like these beautiful 3D environments that you can show off as like here's the opening for your cave, here's the temple ruins or something. So if you're artistic and got 15 bucks to spend to go check that out, it's called Flowscape. That's what we should have used for the quiet ear. I continue never to have anything really to pitch. Oh, come on. You know you want online players to join your games. Oh, what a soundbite. And uh, you can hear the storytelling advice and coaching and sometimes the workshopping of narratives themselves on Here Be Tigers. We have some interviews coming up that should be fascinating to round up the year. I think our Xenobiology episode is up. The four beats of narrative are coming out soon. And speaking of the quiet year, I think we're airing that as our end of the year surprise, like Microscope was last time. Hmm. <laughs> we we have never been able to play those open-ended games without them ending in some type of horrifying conclusion. It's because we keep trying to Hello. one-up each other. And your brother wasn't even on last time. Yeah. Or Paolo. But I mean, uh, I'm playing with blocks without knocking them over, guys. It's, it's really that simple. I think that's what we have to do fiasco, even as a one shot for the crazy space bear and alien, just to see what that initial narrative might play out like. So, yeah, we might have that on the roster coming up for next year. Any ideas for what you guys would like to see down the road or do down the world as a world priming and world building premise later? I think what you should do is write a more tightly defined one and then have several different groups tackle it if you can get people together for it. That would be pretty fun. I like that. See what each of them creates. Let's limit it to yeah, a like single to these neighborhood. Like in real life or in the game? No, I mean, in, in, in the game, the entire story is limited to a single neighborhood. I would say, if you want to go door to door in this environment, say, hey, would you like to join our world building live stream? <laughs> I think he meant the pitch. But um, <laughs> yeah, I can think of a few different ways that could go just off the top right, of my it head. It definitely needs to be narrowed down from there. But we've tended to build worlds and it would be very interesting to build something small. Community, village, location, yeah. I like that idea. Something far more finite. That isn't Fraggle Ship Down. <laughs> oh, no, no. Okay, that, that's it. Jared, the one we need to play due to multiple different groups is exactly Fraggle Ship Down. Oh, God. So there's a game based off of called Warren that we could use as one permutation. But yeah, I think there'd be other ways to take that. I can guess from the name. <laughs> I figured you could, yes. There are ways to take that a little more friendly. Not that any of us would run Monster Arts, but I think you could use that approach too. But yeah, let's uh, let's for next year, we'll, I think, do our next season as a very tight premise in terms of location or a small idea and see what arrives from there. But yes, that's right. We are wrapping up Wander Home, the playtest, our last best hope, and there's one other I'm forgetting. Oh, you and I, Dave, are crash testing a DFIV yes. game. Yes, we are. Ken... Tanner, any uh, advice before we dive into that? I'm sorry, what? 5A D&D game? For a 5 e game? Hmm. Yeah. We're going to be players for once, entirely. You're Don't not an adventure in the league, right? No, no. Uh, what are, one of our new GMs, Andrew, is running a campaign next year, but he's going to intro Dave and I this weekend. My advice would be that D&D is, even though 5e has a reputation for being very loose and uh, very focused on rulings and not rules... It's still sometimes useful to have somebody who is a little bit of a rules lawyer, especially if you guys are playing for the first time. But maybe only have one person designated as that, and that makes it go a lot faster instead of everybody looking up the rules. Your amputations, got it. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be my job, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be this time. You sound grateful for that. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but my advice on 5e is don't. Not even once. <laughs> I think we're going to end the episode on that cheery end of the year note. No, it's, look, it's a phenomenal game for people who are like coming into the hobby or who have a regular group that they want to run a game that is Dungeons & Dragons for, and that's what they want to play. That's all great. But you guys have been at role-playing games about as long as I have. You have played a variety of systems. I don't think you're going to find that 5e is that interesting in the context of the wider world of role-playing. Yeah, it's a very general system that can do a lot of good things, but it's a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah, Yeah, that's my real objection. I actually don't think there's anything empirically wrong with it. I think you're going to get bored. Funny, as I was flipping through the rule book, I looked at the art, and my impression was they tried so hard to make this so generalized that it lost any sense of aesthetic whatsoever as to what the world was like. I remember the old yeah, no, dude, it's Starbucks role playing games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I remember looking through, you know, the two E playbooks for Ravenloft for Planescape, etc., and having Brom, having Dieter Lizzie be the key art directors as mm-hmm. part of the structure and perspective and the language of here's the world you're gonna play in. I looked at these books and went, Yeah, I get that all of that is probably a campaign material I can download, but I'm not that I was a huge points of light fan by any means, but well, you can shift Brom off of drawing fetish art. He was a really creepy artist. It was a good choice for him. Yes. Do you know he wrote a modernized version in his in his words or his take of Peter Pan? <laughs> I think I've read it. I'm pretty sure it was real bad. It I, might have been about Krampus, though. I don't remember. I think it basically plays out like the Krampus, which to your point would make it. Uh, yeah, there. I think that'll probably be the challenge for Dave and I, then, is to figure out where our joy is coming from, if not the system itself. Well, breaking the system, obviously. Yeah. And the GM, yes. And it wouldn't be Otter well, Worlds it, yeah, so, it wasn't that. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I'll follow up with that. There's nothing really that 5th edition can't do. Uh, if your DM or GM is versed enough, it's easy to for him to make a ruling on something that will fit in the uh, game world but yeah it won't be as strictly social focused or as strictly combat focused as any of the other specialized systems makes sense as always thank you guys for joining us tonight if ever you want to run or guest spot a game for one shot or otherwise let us know we are always looking for different ways to tell stories and also ones that dave and i can play in yes. instead <laughs> have a Every great night. night a good story can excite us yes But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.